You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Maddie Kirby built up a following of tens of thousands on Vine, and then when Vine got shut down, she repeated that task on Flippagram. She makes short, funny videos about six seconds long and shares them on these platforms. I have links to a few of them in the show notes, and you should check them out. She has a lot of insight also on the new world of content creation, influencer marketing, social media, and building connections with the digital audience. I learned a lot from her, and I had a lot of fun, so I hope you'll enjoy. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about what you do and kind of the platforms you operate on, what kind of content you've been making in the last couple of years? So I started a Vine account in 2016, like March, I think is what I found. And then Vine died after I was getting settled into that, which was really sad. And yeah. then uh, I moved over to a platform called Flipagram, which is also short content and started making uh, kind of comedy form videos on there and gained about 26,000 fans on that platform. And then now I'm trying to branch over into the YouTube world, longer form content, and just trying to find my place, I guess, in that world and hoping that that kind of can take off in some way. Yeah. Oh, I think the first question that comes to mind is how do you get that many people following your work like 26,000 is kind of a huge number (laughs) I don't know I had a friend from Vine and he told me about Flippagram so I went over there and it seemed like in a week I had probably like 5,000 fans already they just really liked a video that I posted of me dancing and it was not like good dancing I knew it wasn't good dancing (laughs) No, I, I might have uh, seen this. It's good. Yeah, it was like <laughs> it's a, fun. Like a stink face kind of dancing where I like frown <laughs> like this. And <laughs> I don't know, it took off and it got featured and it had like half a million views. Um, and so uh, at that time, people were sharing it on other platforms and also just on Flipagram. You can press a button and share it to your page. And so it just kind of spiraled into that. And then I got added to a top creators program on Flippagram, uh, which you have to get invited to be on or you submit an application. But right away, I think just a couple days into it, I got into that program. And then they uh, let you know about certain trends or things that they're going to feature before everybody else so that you can kind of get everybody else to post on that platform. Yeah, that's interesting. So how does that, I mean, we're just kind of going back to like a super high level. What's the category that you would put yourself in? Like you were saying, like you don't consider yourself an influencer. No, I would not consider myself an right. influencer. Something that I heard from a big YouTuber over the summer was that influencer is never the right word to use because, I mean, anybody could be an influencer. If you influence one person, technically that's an influencer. I mean, if you're going to get down to it. Uh, so that's why it was a little bit hard when I was trying to think of how do I introduce myself on this podcast. Uh, but people can be a content creator, which is, a, I guess, what I would say, but even that's a little bit vague. <laughs> it's a really hard space to know kind of what you are. So some people say, I'm a comedian, I'm a filmmaker. So it's, it's really just up to you. So what's the value of an influencer? How does like influencer marketing work? There's a lot of value in influencers. Uh, influencers, people trust them because they seem more like a person. Uh, than obviously like an ad agency or a brand. So they, uh, like if they want to promote something, 
uh, they'll talk to you in a way that's more like a friend. And people already think that an influencer understands you. So really, it's a lot of kids, they turn to uh, influencers because they feel like this person that they've never met can actually connect with them in a way that nobody else can. There's so many uh, studies that have been done that they think that these influencers understand them more than their, even their best friends. Really? That's yeah. kind of the bizarre. The trust is, is there. It's really weird. So it's like way beyond Michael Jordan wearing Nike's shoes or something. It's like yeah, in your own, I guess like a lot of kids, like in their own bedroom or someone where like there's someone that they trust so much that they spend like, I don't know, several minutes a day interacting with that. Yeah, and it's not a traditional celebrity, so they're they're just like they feel like they're they could be your friend, I guess, if you were in the same room. It's just so strange. So you mentioned uh, kids. What's the typical age of someone who's doing this kind of thing? It's so young. I've seen over the summer when I was at VidCon, which is a uh, it's like a YouTube convention or digital video convention. There was uh, as young as, as like six years old. Uh, creating YouTube videos. You get little kids uh, doing Six. product reviews for toys. Yeah, they'll just unbox a toy and then on camera and then they'll say, this is fun and then they get paid. <laughs> it's huh. crazy. By, like, get, by the toy company? or how does Yeah, that... by a toy company or they'll do it in hopes that the toy company will want to license that video. So they'll see, oh, you did such a great job uh, doing this review of this toy. Can we license it from you? We'll pay you like $100,000. This is just a crazy number if some people get that deal. Um, but I'll pay you $100,000 if I get the rights to your video for a year. And then they can use it as an ad on YouTube or something. Wow. Well, it's, yeah. It's like, I assume six isn't like a typical age. I, I kind of hope it's not. Like, what's, <laughs> is there like a more typical age range? Uh, the more typical age range I see is about 12 to uh, probably 17. That's usually what I see. It's like the hot age, I guess, on, on YouTube anyway. And I guess other places, yeah. It's, it's younger. That's still super young. You were mentioning that it feels sometimes it's kind of weird uh, for you because you're, you're like in your 20s, right? Which is mm -hmm. young by almost any definition. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. In the digital space, you are old at 24. I'm like a grandmother. <laughs> Maybe not a grandma, but I'm more like, I guess, middle-aged in terms of the internet, it's so weird. Uh, I had uh, an opportunity at VidCon to speak uh, in front of some kids to give them advice and stuff. And when I got there, the lady that runs the team for the top creators, she was talking to me and I was telling her about my job. And then she goes, oh, you have a job. And then I said, well, yeah, I, I'm a grown up. She goes, oh my gosh, it's so weird. And then she just was She's so floored because they all think that I'm 19 or 17. I mean, anytime I uh, get questions of age from little kids on Flipagram or something, they all go, how old are you? And I say, why don't you take a guess? And they say, yeah. oh, I don't know, like 19. So it's crazy. And it's a good, it's a good thing to be considered young because you don't want people to think that you're old because then I guess you're irrelevant in the digital space. It's unfortunate. <sighs> That's crazy. I mean, there's definitely yeah. been parts of this process where I feel like a dinosaur at like, age 25. Uh, yeah. But, but that's, that's just so far even beyond what I've experienced. Yeah, it's just bizarre. 
you want to talk a little bit about being a woman on the platform and mm-hmm. some of the extra expectations that are placed on you because of that? Yeah, uh, girls and women are just harshly judged. I mean, it's it's way different. You'll see a girl uh, who's who's young, who's like 12 years old, doing a video um, on Flippergram, and then they will just tear her down. People will comment about her uh, looks all the time. They always do that with women. Uh, you don't really see that as much with guys. They'll often be judged for their creativity rather than looks first. So it's it's hard uh, trying to do comedy, I would say, in the space. It's easier to do beauty stuff, any type of beauty or fashion vlogs on YouTube. That's a lot easier than doing comedy. You're just going to get judged. Really? It's yeah. like That's like the opposite of what I would guess. No. It is so, so like bad. comedy, they're a lot more interested in your appearance? Uh, yeah. It, with women, yeah. They go, well, it, you'll see the comments are more towards their looks. They go, oh, you're so pretty, or you're really ugly. It's just that. And then they'll, then other people will say, like, don't say that to her. Like, she's really funny. And then they'll start talking about what they're actually, their video's actually like. It's not everybody, but I've noticed that a lot. Or uh, female creators have to somehow incorporate beauty into their comedy skits or things that are... I don't know, more geared towards women or female audience, I guess. Huh. Yeah. That's discouraging. It shouldn't be, though. It, if you have a good support system, really, you should go in with a positive mindset and really try to spread positivity, too. Like, you should not be the person that's coming into the videos and commenting bad things. Because sometimes, I mean, I'll judge people based on appearance. I mean... Uh, I think everybody does, but you have to yeah. stop yourself and kind of go, it, that doesn't even matter. Definitely requires the conscious effort. Yeah. Not, not to. So how do you deal with, I mean, somewhere on the internet, someone's going to have like a mean thing to say, right? But mm-hmm. so like, how do you deal with that? Is it, it still seems like it would feel bad. I think in the beginning it felt really bad. I think on Vine, I really cared about Vine so much more just because the, it is a close knit community. Um, so you kind of knew certain people on there. And if somebody said something mean, I would kind of go, oh, okay, that says so much about me. But you can't take that personally at all. Uh, at all. You should never think that because there's a lot of trolls out there. Um, they're everywhere. And I just now have learned to be more positive about it and have fun with it because some people just say those things and like, that doesn't even have anything to do with the video. And then I'll kind of... Uh, I'll kind of push it back on them and agree with them. They'll go, oh, you're not funny. And I'll go, yeah, you're so right. I agree with you. Thank you so much for letting me know. And then I send them hearts, and then they send back and they get mad about it. And they'll go, wait, I said something really mean to you. Why are you getting, like, really nice? So, Just killing them with can't kindness. Handle that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, that's weird. Oh, we got a good comment here from James Hall. It's been called Fat and Ugly oh, yeah, so James. many freaking times. But people come in and defend me, so I don't let Yep. Well, yeah, people will come in and just defend it for you, too. So sometimes you don't even have to worry. I guess that's good. I guess you would hope that you would never have to worry, but still, yeah, it's, it still seems super hard. So being so public, is it hard? Do you feel like a lot of pressure to produce content that people like? Is it harder with a large audience? I mean, I'd like to think that I 
don't try to appeal to everyone because you don't want to. I mean, if you want to be successful, you shouldn't try to appeal to everyone. Uh, but it is a lot of pressure to go out uh, and be in front of people that you don't know. I mean, it's easier. Like, I know what my mom likes if I was going to try to make her laugh or what my brother likes. But when I don't know the people, it's it's so much harder. And you kind of just have to put yourself out there uh, and try so many things and see if it sticks. So, I don't, yeah, it's hard. And I guess if you know if it's little kids, I don't get as scared either. I don't know. If it was people more my age, I knew that were tearing me down, I think it would hurt a little bit more because they're more like they've experienced more things in life, so maybe they have more things to judge against. Do you have a feel for what your audience looks like, like demographically? Uh, yeah, I kind of do have a feel for it. It's a lot of uh, really young girls and boys, uh, I think around like 12 to 13 years old. And then I have kind of the older kids uh, around my, or not older kids, gosh, I'm calling myself a kid. Um, people my age, too, because uh, they just see a familiar face because they're on there as well at this age, so they always like that. Is there a direct way to figure out what your audience is? That's not you can, I mean, I can see who engages with my content, so anybody that comments on it, I can just click on their profile and kind of check it out. Um, and, and those people matter, the ones that are commenting. And then on YouTube, it gives you demographics, but sometimes you can't trust that because it could be a kid using their mom's iPad or somebody else using somebody else's computer or whatever the computer thinks or whatever Google thinks you are as a human being. Uh, but it seems like it's the 12 to 13 years old uh, range. What are you working on now? Is there anything that you're most excited about? There is something I'm really excited about. Uh, one of my coworkers here at work, he is going to help me make a video or a video series, I guess, uh, that pokes fun at influencers. I really wanted to do a spoof for a while on different platforms. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Musical.ly. It's okay if you aren't familiar with that platform. I am not. I... It's okay. It's a bunch of kids uh, lip syncing to things. It's really funny. <laughs> But we want to make fun of that and make fun of YouTubers. And so we have some ideas like uh, doing an unboxing video, but unboxing the garbage can instead. Or just, just kind of like poking fun at people who try really hard or aren't as original online, I guess. What extent do you think people are, uh, like influencers and other types of people like that, do you think that they're like genuine in the way they portray themselves or are just kind of trying to fit a certain image that they think will get them more like likes and views? I think it's a balance between both. Because you want to be liked for who you are. And I, I see that with people. They really do. And you can see that they'll try new things to see if they'll catch on as well, even if some people like a certain thing that that person does. Uh, but they, at the end of the day, you want to possibly make money or get a lot of views so you have to cater towards that audience if that's really what you want if you don't care at all then it doesn't matter but if you do in any way which a lot of people do that are on uh, YouTube on Flipagram then it's gonna matter so how do you decide where the line is for being authentic versus it's gotta come down to happiness level I mean, or what you're satisfied with. If you're okay with acting on the camera and not being who you are, then I guess that's fine. I mean, if that's who you want to be, 
it's not, I guess, really fair to others if you're saying that's who you really are and you're getting money for it. But um, if you're okay with it, because um, you can tell, too, if, if you're not being who you are and then you're not happy with it, you can tell it'll come out in your work that you do. Uh, you can tell if somebody's having fun. There's this guy named uh, Roy Purdy on YouTube, and you can tell that that guy, he is giving people what they want to see, but he's also having a lot of fun with it and putting his own twist on things. Uh, he just does dance videos. Just like He just smiles and dances, and they're great. And people love it. It just is like a reason to smile every day. But you can tell he's he's okay with it. Like, And he knows how to kind of like, toe that line you just put a twist on what people want to see i guess i don't know how to phrase it exactly but like is there uh, an advantage to just being willing to look stupid and like oh yeah okay definitely i think that's why my video did well when i first was on flipogram or even on vine uh just being able to not care about how you look or anything is a benefit of course uh just because you can it, sorry, has to do with like acting and just being able to put everything aside for just one moment and just let it all loose. People can tell also that you're having a lot of fun with it if you're just being stupid. So people love it. I don't know. I love it. I love okay. seeing when people are stupid online. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. sincerity is pretty like appealing. People like that. Yeah, and it just shows that you're not afraid of your audience and people like that. That's, that's good. I, I don't know. I guess it kind of gives a good warm feel to think about it. Has your experience changed the way you think about connecting with people on or offline? I think it's maybe changed more of how people feel when they connect with me if they find out that I have a YouTube account or something. I don't know if it changes how I connect with people except for maybe uh, when I'm hanging out with a friend and I think of us this really like funny idea for a YouTube video or a funny idea for a flipogram. Uh, I'll kind of stop and go, okay, can we film this right now or something? <laughs> and then people get mad about it and they're like, can we just like not think about that right now, Maddie? So it does change how I uh, connect in that way where I'm always kind of thinking about what to create next. And then, then you kind of get this urge and you really want to go create it now and you can't. Okay, I think you mentioned you like your uh, adult job, which is so uncommon for uh, people online to have, apparently. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't have a real job, so uh, what do you what do you do uh, during the day? During the day, I'm a social media coordinator for Zing Toys. I guess technically it's Oz West, but I tell people Zing Toys because that's the the toy company. It gives them a bigger idea of what I do. Uh, children's toy company, and we have a line of bow and arrows and this stop motion animation toy and skill toys and what I do is I get to go talk to and respond to kids online and uh, on any platform it's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Musical.ly, all of these things that kids use. Um, so I get to be the that middleman for the brand and the, the audience uh, and the consumer and then I'm posting to YouTube, or in a couple weeks I'm going to, to film a couple ads um, here in Portland, or just thinking of new ideas, or contacting influencers is a big thing that I do sometimes uh, to see if they want to work with our brand or see if they'd be a good fit. How does that partnership work? 
it works uh, where either they contact us or we contact them uh, with an idea of, hey, I have this product and I think it would be a really good fit with you. Or they say, hi, I see that you have this one product and I think I'd be a really good fit for it. And then you kind of take it from there and you talk. Um, and really it kind of leads off with pricing. Pricing is really important because you have managers that you have to deal with or uh, people that kind of get a little bit ridiculous with pricing where like $100,000 for one piece of content when I could probably go get that for free. Um, and then you kind of just discuss if you want it to be a partnership where uh, we would say give them toys and then they'd make a video and then we could take that content and then give them a shout out for it. So we'd help each other out get view, to get views or um, to get engagement on their channel or put them in an ad so that they get uh, attention uh, or just pay them up front and then we get the rights for it. It really just depends on what each other's goals are. If someone makes a piece of like stop motion content or something, I mean mm -hmm. any content, I guess it could be anything. Yeah. Uh, what, what is there a going rate for that? How does that amount get um, decided? It depends on the quality. I know that's for sure for uh, stop motion, or they get paid by either the video as a whole. It could be like say six hundred dollars. There's this kid that uh, works for us from high school, and he gets I think six hundred dollars for each episode that he makes, and it's about under two minutes. Or you make three hundred dollars a minute, or it can be. Um, a package deal you do so many episodes and then you get paid it's a great job if anybody animates seriously you need to come work for zing it's great what's most fun to you uh with my job or yeah or, or like the animation thing you mentioned is great i just love i love seeing what kids are making online i think and it makes me feel like a kid i just feel like my job has been such a good fit for me because i just want to have fun all the time and it doesn't feel like that I guess when I'm here working because I get to be involved with things that I love like I I love social media I I didn't really know that I guess going into it I knew I had an interest but once I got into this job and I just I know that I'm motivated to do my best work because I love vine or I love flipogram at home and so then I get to come to work and feel excited about my work as well because it's very related I, I mean I'm I'm someone who like doesn't feel that way at all about social media so like it's it's terrifying to think that when I'm like trying to make content that'll stand out that I'm competing against the likes of you or mm -hmm. other people who <laughs> genuinely love what they're doing yeah but you could love it and be bad at it so it really doesn't matter the love I, the love matters to an extent and then there's the actual, do you know what you're doing? And I hope that I know what I'm doing. I feel like at this point I'm like getting there. It's, every day is a learning process. I mean, the social media space changes so much. I know that you said that you don't know a lot about social media or you feel like a dinosaur in this world. I do feel like a dinosaur. But you could know everything in one day and then the next day you could feel like a dinosaur again because some new platform came out that you didn't know about or you missed, went under your radar or something and yeah it's crazy it's always changing so it's okay to feel like that I don't think anybody's an expert at it well that's pretty encouraging I guess hey, did I ask you about what what you did when vine got taken down did you have to <laughs> rebuild that entirely from scratch or how like what did you do it was such a sad day I got <laughs> I came to work and my boss tells me that hey did you know that vine's gone and I just stopped 
everything that I was doing, and I went, no, because I love Vine so much. It was such a great community, and that was really my biggest fear, was trying to find that community again that was so uh, closely knit, because uh, it's not like that in YouTube. I mean, in the YouTube space, you're not going to make a lot of friends and easily connect in that way. Uh, so going over to a different platform or trying to find that was really difficult because you go from six seconds to, uh-oh, now I have to try to be funny in more than six seconds. And that's so hard when you got used to this like tiny uh, little bit that you have to fill. Is there a reason not to just do like six second YouTube videos? Like do you the could, same thing? Well, YouTube has a, an algorithm and it doesn't uh, go in your favor if you do short videos. But some people do it. Uh, I know there's this guy named ProZD, and he was from Vine, and he moved over, and he does uh, six-second videos. He just posts his old Vines, and they get millions of views. But he also had a bigger fan base. I mean, when you have a fan base of, uh, say, like half a million or more on Vine, it was easier to make that transition. Anything less than that, it kind of got a little wishy-washy with whether if you started on YouTube before Vine ended or if you started right when you found out the news. Yeah, I guess you can like send them to your your, your YouTube channel at the end of it, right? Like. Yeah, because a lot of people jumped shit before they found out because they, they had a feeling that it was going to be bad. So right when uh, they knew that Vine was probably going to be gone, in a little while, they moved to YouTube and they were fine. The people that were too late, that was a little bit rougher. Me, I was only on the platform for, I don't know, five to six months, so it sucked, but I mean, I didn't have too much going on there, so it was okay. Do you have advice for someone looking to build an audience? I mean, you have to create, first of all. I know some people that just kind of, like I, I know someone that would love it if they could just make one video and get famous. Of course, that'd be really cool. You have to just create a lot um, and just try different stuff and not care at first. I mean, it's not going to fall into your lap right away unless you uh, know people on YouTube already or know people on Flippagram uh, who can tag you in things or invite you in their videos because there's a lot of uh, friend groups on YouTube who just they use each other to get views kind of thing. Like they'll have their friend who has a million views be in their video and then they'll get a lot of views. Uh, so really it's just about making stuff first of all. And then just telling friends and trying to push it out on other platforms is a really big thing. I mean, I'm probably not the best example for trying to get my YouTube word out there right now because I went on a vacation and then I kind of got out of the groove so I didn't make things. Yeah, just make things. And then you can figure it out. Like, make things first, have a solid foundation, and then you can kind of figure out, how am I going to build this if I want to? And, like, who am I going to tell? Work with other people. Collaborating is big. Is there, like, a kind of code of etiquette for reaching out to people? If someone has, like, half a million followers or something, um, what, like, what's a good way to stand out to them? I think if you're going to reach out to somebody that has that many followers, you're probably not going to get a response, or they might lightly put you down, because you have to offer them something, too. Right. It's a two-way street. So, unless you have something just mind-blowingly awesome, that person's probably not going to respond to you. 
but it's really just kind of going for uh, people that either have the same sense of humor as you, I guess in my case, if it's comedy, um, and trying to find those people, or people who even are uh, close in location to you. So if somebody else is in Portland, like, I would try to become friends with them, and then maybe we can work something out. Uh, you just message them and see. I've gotten messages like that before, and I've uh, made content with people on Vine before, and that was fun, actually. It was really weird, because the people lived in different states, so trying to figure that out that was uh, difficult, but they just messaged me, and I responded, because why not? I mean, you should be willing to hang, uh, to help out other people, unless you just see that if you don't like their stuff, just like let them down gently. Say it's not a match. Yeah. Like dating. Like, neither of us are going to be happy here. It's, yeah, it's, it's not, not going to work out. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Dang. Um, so wh where can people find you in your work? Do you want to give a plug? We can put links in the oh, comments, yeah. too. Um, I'm known as Maddie Kirby everywhere. So if you go on YouTube, there used to be a different Maddie Kirby, but now I'm the number one, hopefully. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, big stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rising star. Yeah, just Maddie Kirby, M-A-D-D-I-E. And then K-I-R-B-Y. Kirby is my real last name. It's not some like, made-up name. Everybody thinks that. But uh, you can find me on Flippagram and YouTube mainly. And then I hate to admit it, but I'm on Musical.ly, but I'm trying to figure that place out and where I can <laughs> fit in that. So Maddie Kirby <laughs> everywhere. Okay, great. Thanks for, putting links in the Thanks for taking the time. I enjoyed our conversation. Oh yeah, me too. Links to Maddie's work are in the show notes. Be sure to check out a couple of her videos if you need a good laugh. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, who long ago operated as a single-celled organism, which then engulfed a smaller microorganism, giving rise to the multicellular complexity that comprises and surrounds us. I mean, eventually. I took a super long time in between there, but that was like a really big step. And it's kind of amazing to think about that that like one little thing led to basically our entire world. You can find them on cepdx.bandcamp.com as well as Apple iTunes and Spotify. If you like the episode and want to hear more like it, be sure to click subscribe. You can also do me a huge favor in helping grow this podcast by sharing your favorite episode with a friend and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.